Even before we open um, our Bibles or look at the overhead for our scripture passage, um, let me begin by asking you this very simple question because it very much revolves around the passage that we're dealing with here this morning. Do you love Jesus? I mean, do you really love Jesus? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not at this point um, asking you, are you committed to Pathway? Although we've dealt with that in our series on the core values of Pathway. Um, I'm not um, asking you if you're committed to our doctrinal standards, although I would trust that you are, those very standards that we consider in our afternoon services. I'm asking you an even more fundamental question, do you love Jesus? Because that's, that's the foundation. And, and do you know what that means to love Jesus? What that actually looks like, what that entails? and why it's important. That's what we're going to be considering here this morning as what we're doing here, and I'm going to say this especially for the sake of the visitors here, um, over the past couple of months we've been going through a thematic series uh, based on various scripture texts relating to our church's core values, and there's four fundamental core values which we considered over the last couple of months. Now what we're doing is we are transitioning from looking at our church's core values to three um, basic scripture passages that focus on our church's core vision, which is really threefold. There's three core component parts of our vision. One is loving Jesus, the second one is loving each other, and the third is loving the world. Now, I know that really seems simple, but it's really, really important because it is very, very foundational, and sometimes these are things that we take for granted. So the reason why the leadership chose the vision of Pathway to be loving Jesus and each other in the world, because therein, the leader said, this is where we find balanced ministry. So loving Jesus points us upward, loving each other points us inward, right? And then loving the world, particularly loving our city in which God has placed us, that's outward. That makes for balanced ministry. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the first fundamental or component part of our vision, which is loving Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I want to begin reading at verse 28, Mark being the second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28, and one of the scribes, now kids, you read a scribe, how many of, how many of you kids know what a, a, a scribe is? How many of us as adults know what a scribe is? Right? It's an expert in the law. Expert in Torah, the law of God, and understanding the law, an application of the law, okay? So he's not one who's naive, like he doesn't know his left hand from his right hand in terms of theology, doctrine, spirituality. And one of the scribes came up and heard them, that is Jesus and the Sadducees disputing with one another, that's the immediate context, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other besides him. And to love him with all our heart and with all our understanding and with all our strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more, much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's very typical that, that various groups, two Jewish sects in particular, Pharisees and Sadducees, that the groups among these, these two religious orders would come to Jesus. It's very typical, and they would, they would ask him questions in order to test him, sometimes in order to trap him. And now you have the scribe asking Jesus what the most important command is. And I wonder how many of us know the answer to that question before we actually heard Jesus. I mean, what would come to mind if suddenly I came up to you after worship service and say, hey, I, I'm doing a survey. What is the most important question of all, or uh, most important commandment of all? Of all the commands in the Bible. Now, unless you're raised in the Christian faith, we get a whole host of answers, but hopefully if you're raised in the Christian faith, you go, the greatest commandment is the matter of love. It's a command to love. To love God above all and our neighbor as ourselves. That's exactly the the answer that Jesus gives to this uh, scribe. Now, here's, here's the thing. Um, a couple things quickly by, by way of introduction. You know, we're, 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 we're considering the theme of loving Jesus. Now, Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with the whole of our being. Who is this God? Orthodox Christian theology tells us it's a triune God, one God who exists in three persons, which, by the way, if you come back this afternoon, we're going to continue our series, our catechetical series, on the foundations of the Christian faith, taking a look at who God is as a triune God, a God who exists as one God in three persons, what that's all about and why it's important. Okay, just to give you a heads up. When Jesus talks about loving God, we may assume that he's also referring to himself because Orthodox Christian theology based upon the Bible tells us that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is not a creature. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not partly God. He's fully God. So when our passage talks about loving God, Jesus is also referring to himself in that way, and I want us to understand that. So we are to love God. We are to love Jesus with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength. This is what it means to follow Him. This is what it means to actually belong to Him. Okay. Now, secondly, um, and I want to state this. You can be here this morning and you can be very deep in your faith. You can be very theologically or doctrinally articulate. And uh, you can even have the courage of a martyr. According to 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all of these things in place. But let me tell you what, if you don't have love, and if the world doesn't see that we have love, then we've got nothing, according to 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love. Okay? Love, love, love is not just something for us as individuals and, and as a church. It's not just something. It's, it's everything. And without, we're nothing. Okay? And I think that's what Jesus is really getting at in this passage. Without further ado, I want to draw our attention to this, this passage now. And um, yeah, just keep the passage up there if you would. And in, in a little bit, I'm going to draw your attention to um, one of the slides that I submitted regarding some Old Testament passages. But I'll let you know that, okay? So, scribe, a scribe, this expert in law, comes to Jesus with this question, what is the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment of all? Now, um, maybe you're not thinking this way, but when a, when a pastor is dealing with a passage and he's trying to absorb himself in this passage, um, he's, he's sometimes, uh, oftentimes, hopefully, he's looking at the heart of the issue 
And he's wondering, what kind of heart does a scribe have when he asks that question? I mean, why is he asking it in the first place? Is he genuinely interested in that? Is the Holy Spirit of God working in him, kind of already somewhat in a preparatory way, drawing him to Jesus? What, what, what's, what's going on here in the heart of the scribe? Okay. Well, you're not going to really know in this passage, but there's one other parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew. So we have four Gospels, but this is recorded in the two Gospels of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and then also Mark. And what Matthew tells us, basically, is this that this scribe came to Jesus to test him with this question. Now, we read earlier, you're not going to see this on the overhead, but if you have your Bible with you, you're going to see in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, that the Pharisees sent some, or um, they sent some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap Jesus in his talk. So already, the, the, the sect of the Pharisees had something against Jesus. They didn't believe that he was going to Messiah. And, and so what they wanted to do is they wanted to put him into a theological corner from which he could not escape. Following the Pharisees, then the immediate context is the Sadducees, another sect of Judaism, comes to Jesus and, and wants to test him according to Jesus' understanding of the doctrine of the resurrection. So we have two improper motives regarding, this, uh, regarding these people who come to Jesus. Now what we find is the scribe is no different. He's coming to Jesus to test him. But Jesus is going to use the occasion to evangelize him. Okay? So he asked Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? What's the most important? And what's Jesus' answer, kids? What's Jesus' answer? It's a really simple answer that you can understand. Love. The greatest commandment is love. He, he doesn't say in terms of, of the commandments. And by the way, when you, when you hear the word commandments, just don't think in a reductionistic, small way of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a summary of all the commandments that we find in the Bible. So there are many, many commandments. And in addition to this, the scribe of the Pharisees had also what we call oral traditions. These were exegetical and applicatory perspectives on the law of God that were not found in the scripture, but were the traditions in order to help the people to remain within the boundaries of the confines of obedience to the law. There are, according to uh, commentators, I think they said there's 613 of them in all. So you combine all the commandments of the Bible and all the commandments of the Pharisees, I mean, man, you're drowning in commandments. And so the scribe who's drowning in these commandments saying, okay, let's simplify this. What is the most important commandment of all? Jesus, I'm testing you on this. You know, he's thinking, I'm testing you. And what does Jesus say? Okay, let's reduce it to this, to core religion. Love. Just love. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus also adds, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So your love for God is naturally to spill in your, into your love for a neighbor. All right. Now, what I want us to understand, and I think this is an important point, is that when Jesus gives us a response... Um, Jesus is not providing anything, he's not bringing anything new to the table. It's not like the scribe who's already immersed in the Old Testament, here's Jesus, and he goes, wow, you know, that's really profound, I never thought about that. No, no, no. Jesus is not introducing anything new. What he's taking the scribe is going, okay, you know the Old Testament scriptures? Okay, let's go back. Let's go back, and let's go back to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, particularly Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay? And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read this. It's called the Shema. 
which in the Hebrew means hear or just listen. So, this is how Hebrews 6 begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's not many. We're not polytheists. We're monotheists, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then Jesus also adds this to the Shema, which which is found in the Old Testament, but it's not connected to the Shema. And that is, okay, you're to love God with all your being, but also your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes on to say there are no greater commandments than these. Okay, so... So what, what, what Jesus is really doing, he's getting at the very core, he's getting at the very core of religion, of our religion, of the Christian faith. And without the core of love, I mean, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a Christian if there's not a love, a full orb love in your heart for God and for each other, and neighbor also includes those in the world, okay? So basically, what Jesus, Jesus defines the love in this way, and I won't mention too many things, I'll mention three. First of all, this love that we are to have is to be all-embracing. So I want you to notice, if you got, yeah, it's up there, okay, and I'm just looking at my passage as well. Notice closely the, the wording of the language, that Jesus says, we are to love the Lord our God with And that word all is used before each component part of love. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. The word all there in the original language is the word holes, uh, from which we get our English whole. In other words, with with, with the whole of ourselves, not just part of ourselves, but with the fullness of ourselves, we, we, we are to love the Lord. We're to love the Lord our God. And then, not only is this love to be all-embracing, but it's to be multidimensional. Multidimensional. That it's to involve our heart, our soul, but also our minds. A lot of times in our Western context, when we talk about love, we're just talking about feeling. A girl falls in love with a guy, or a guy falls in love with a girl. And what do we oftentimes think of? We think of the heart, or we think of the soul, if, if you like listening to, to pop songs from the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s even, when, when, when the guy's singing, right, and he's singing effectually to his girlfriend or whatever, whoever she is, it's like, you know, I, notice the word soul. Notice that. The soul is oftentimes used. The guy never says, you know, man, I, I just love you with the whole of my mind. You know, and it's like, what? <laughs> so we don't talk in that way. So it's the heart, it's the soul, but also the mind. I'll get to this a little bit later. And then also with all of our strength. So it's to be all-embracing, it's to be comprehensive, and finally it's to be two-pronged. Love for God, but that should spill over into love for neighbor. So here I, I began the sermon by saying, do you, do you love Jesus? And I wonder how many of us were thinking about all those dimensions of what it means to really love Jesus involves Something that's all-embracing, comprehensive, two-pronged. Not just God, but our neighbor. That, that's the kind of love that we're to have. Now, the passage throughout kind of invites us to, to think about our own lives and search our own hearts and say, is that the kind of love I have for the Lord? And if I do, how does that... How does that spill out in my relationship with others? And how does that spill out in the way that I worship God on a Sunday? The, the, the reason why I bring that out is, is because 
It's very interesting that when you study the Bible and you study the history of God's people, both Old and New Testament, they, they periodically fell into a trap. It began with the heart, and when their heart became distant from God, they started to turn their back on God. But the very interesting thing is that while they walked slowly away from God, and God would plead with them to come back, like a, like a husband to a wife who's erring, or a wife to her husband who's erring, he, they, they just keep walking. But the interesting thing is that they continue to be religious. In other words, they, they continue to follow the procedures of their religion, they continue to follow the rituals of their religion. They continue to talk about the importance of orthodoxy and the law and standards and all of that. They continue to check all the boxes that we're supposed to check. But their heart was divorced from the Lord. And then the Lord looks at that and like, okay, then what are, what are your, what, what's the meaning of all your rituals? Or, so you come to worship, big deal. What, what is that all about? Maybe if you put the, those Old Testament passages up there. There you go. Now, I want to address, uh, quickly address these uh, or consider these passages with you. Notice how the Lord responds to His people who have turned their backs. The Lord says this, this is what I want. I desire love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So you come to the temple, you give your offerings as an act of worship, but man, you, you, you don't even know who I am, you know. You, you, don't, you don't love me. Now, look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. This, this refers to the first king of Israel, King Saul. He was a mess, spiritually. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Okay, Isaiah 1. Let's keep moving on. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but my people do not know me. They don't understand. What then are your sacrifices to me? I've had enough of your burnt offerings. I do not delight in the blood of your bulls or lambs or goats. So, so bear in mind, the Lord's not saying to his people, okay, jettison, okay, just get rid of your religion, get rid of your rituals, and just give your heart to me. He's not saying that. He's saying keep your rituals, <laughs> There's some rules and order that's in place for your good because I am a God of order. But man, don't, just don't go through all these procedures of your religion and follow these rituals if your heart is divorced from me or if you're not expressing love for me or for each other. Then it's, it's all empty. Finally this, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. Watch yourself when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer empty sacrifices. Well, this goes for the whole of life, and I, and I suppose it especially goes for what we do like on a day today when we worship God. So, you know, an encouragement to us all, and that is that when, before you come to worship, search your heart. Say, with what kind of attitude and what kind of motivation am I coming to worship? And when I worship the Lord, and when I sing my songs, or I give of my offerings, or when I listen to the sermon, whatever I'm doing in worship, you know, am, am, I, am I just going through the motions or am I using this opportunity to tell the Lord, I love you and I want to give myself to you in this worship for your praise and for your glory and that's the way I want to live my life as well. Love. 
love. That, that's, that's what the passage says. And notice, notice what it says. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all our heart, it's the seat of our affections. With all our soul, which is, gets at the very center of our being. With all our minds, which is the place of our understanding. And also with all our strength, with, with, through, the, through the exercise of all of our, our wills. Love, then, is just more than a feeling. Love's the exercise of the will in faith and obedience before the Lord. It's interesting that when you examine the Gospel of John, love is not just a feeling. It is that. Love is just not an experience. It is that. But, but love, according to the teaching of Jesus, is always connected to obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay? All right. So, so that's kind of love that we we are to have. And then Jesus goes on to add, of course, that in addition to that, we're to love our neighbor. And I'm not going to go into the implications and practical applications of that now, because we'll look at that next time that we meet when we look at the need to not only love Jesus, but love each other. Okay. So as we start just moving more and more toward the end of the passage, Jesus teaches this scribe this lesson about the love command and so, really, as you're reading on, you're anticipating, okay, well, at some point, the scribe is going to have to respond. What kind of response is he going to give? And he gives a very simple response. He goes, you're right. You're right. Literally, in the original language, the word is well. Well. It's actually, if you take a look at verse 28... We read, the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them, that is the Sadducees, well, that word well is the same as in verse 32, where Jesus says, you are right. So it's not a big thing, but it's kind of interesting. So the scribe is hearing Jesus and goes, well, or as we would say today, well put, right on. You're right. You're right. And then he goes on to say this, Teacher, Rabbi, you have truly said that God is one and there's no other besides Him, and to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as, uh, one's neighbor as oneself is, notice, he says, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. A whole burnt offering was an offering, a sin offering in the Old Testament that was offered um, in the form of a bull, where the bull was sacrificed, and the whole of that bull, because other sacrifices, just parts of the animal were used, the whole of the bull was used as a way of getting back through that sacrifice into a proper relationship with God. It was an atoning sacrifice for sin. And, and you know, it, it, it clicks in this guy, it clicks in this guy where he's kind of going, Oh, yeah, it is possible to give a whole burnt offering and yet not give the whole of yourself. Ah, now I get it. Give the whole of the bull, but also give the whole of your heart to God. The, the, the simple point is that, that when, when Christ calls a person, he calls them to totally, total allegiance. You know, he's not like, when Jesus, and this is the difficult thing about becoming a Christian, and, this, and I've had to tell this to people in, in, in talking one-on-one with them, and, and I'm saying, you know, if, if 
you want to be a Christian, what, what does that mean? And I lay that out. And, and I said, you know, you need to bear in mind, in contrast to what we call prosperity preachers today, where they say, if you follow Jesus, everything basically is going to fall in place, and God wants to be wealthy and happy and all of that. I said, that's a lie. It's a lie. Basically, when Jesus calls you to himself, he's calling you to die. To die to yourself and to die to everything that stands in your way of giving complete allegiance to Jesus. Now, who of us is able to do that perfectly? I hope no one raises their hand here this morning, right? Because we all struggle with that. We're all fallen, right? But nonetheless, Jesus gives us the standard. He says, I want all of you. I want all of you, okay? Now, one final thing. The scribe says, right, you're right on, Jesus. And so Jesus understands that this man responds correctly. So what's Jesus' response to the scribe? He goes, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. In other words, okay, if, if, if the kingdom is over here and the scribe is over here, and imagine you got a line right here, Jesus is saying, yeah, you know, you heard me, right? And it appears you understand me, right? And... You accept the truth of what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Well, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're here, you're close, but you're not over here. <laughs> you're, you're near, but you're still kind of far. And so what you need, the implication without saying it directly to the man is you, you, need, you, need, to, you need to pivot. You need to pivot from here. You need to pivot in here. And... Uh, and the only way you do that is by coming to grips with yourself, recognizing who you are in your sin as an offense to God. You need to repent. You need to turn from it. And then you need to trust yourself to me, and you need to, you need to surrender your life to me. <laughs> that's a tall order, isn't it? And yet that's fundamentally, that's what Jesus is calling him. That's what he's calling all of us to do. Surrender. Surrender. Because unless we surrender to Christ, we're always going to be on this, light, this, this side of the line. And we can be very near to the line, but it doesn't mean that we've pivoted across the line to being in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever followed the story of Ernest Shackleton and the voyage of the endurance where in 1914, 15, something like that, right around World War I, um, it was the endurance uh, ship that made uh, a trip to Antarctica to explore Antarctica because nobody had gotten there before. And, and so the ship kept going and going, and it got within 97, I'll have to use miles here, I don't know what kilometers, but 97 miles of Antarctica. I mean, that's, that's within 100 miles. And what happened then is the ship became encased in ice, and the ice and time destroyed the ship. They were, they were so close, and yet, in, the, in a way, so far. And that can easily happen to, to people who are in the church all their life or especially to people like the scribe who've never really been a part of the church, never been a part of Christ, where they're getting what Jesus is saying. They just haven't gone to the next step, which is repentance and faith and surrender. So, really, when you take a look at a passage like this, it, it just invites us, really, to get personal with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, okay, then, as, as, I, as I look in my own life, 
are there are there are there component components or parts of my life that I have I have not surrendered and that's inhibiting my soul and what what are they what are they and is it is it possible and and what the the I think that the questions that the test that the text asks of us or this passage asks of us is not designed this morning to make you doubt your faith but to do what the apostle Paul calls us to do in 2 Corinthians 13 which is basically he says test yourself to see that you're in the faith. Or as Peter says, make your calling and election sure. We should always be evaluating ourselves and say, okay, what are those parts of my life that I haven't surrendered to Christ? Am I willing to surrender to Christ? Have I truly repented? Have I truly believed? Have I truly, am I increasingly surrendering to Jesus Christ? And am I resting, am I resting in Christ? For the times that I have failed and say, Lord, you know those things, that I, I, I have failed, but, but Lord, more and more, I, I rest in the, your grace, and I rest in your provision. And I, I've cited this many times before from a man named Jack Miller, where he said, for the church's encouragement, he said, you know, we are much more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we are much more loved in Christ than we had ever dared hope. And that's, that's a beautiful statement, and that's the st- I think it's a statement that's worth considering in light of this text. Christ calls full surrender. I think we recognize that whether, whether you're here for the first time and you've, you've, you're, you've never gone to a church or maybe you've been to a church at some point, you're kind of de-churched or whatever your situation or whether you've been part of Pathway and part of our churches for a long time, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're all called to surrender. We're all called to find our rest and our forgiveness and our life in Christ. And then when we do that, Jesus turns around and says, okay, now what I'm going to do for you is not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to live in you, and he's going to work in you, and bring you where you're at to where you need to be. And that is a person who loves me increasingly with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the gospel. That's the good news of our passage. May, may the Lord increase in us more and more love for Him, and as we'll see next time we meet, more and more love for each other. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for the gospel. It is such an encouragement every week. Lord, we know that the gospel also demands of us full surrender, a surrender to Jesus who said, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Good question. Why don't we always do the things that you say, Lord? We're like the Apostle Paul. That what I want to do, man, I don't do. And that what I don't want to do, I end up doing. But thanks be to God, in whom there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a blessed thing. Lord, make us into the kind of people that you want us to be. A people who are holy, a people who are committed people who are courageous, and also a people who are ultimately loving toward you and also with each other. Lord, we pray this, asking that you also bless the remainder of this day, a day of worship and also a day of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.